Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford. He is the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, the bye week is here for the Green Bay Packers. It is week 11. Quick programming note, this will actually be our final unscripted show for this week. Wes and I, we still have some work to do, but we're going to try to do it out of the office and not have to come into the office. You're going to Barbados. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, But anyway, we will be back after this show. We will be back next Monday with uh, resuming our usual five shows a week leading up to that all-important Packers road trip to San Francisco. But right now... It is the bye week. The players are off for the rest of the week. The Packers coaching staff, Wes, interestingly, Matt LaFleur talked on Monday about how their bye week project is essentially to game plan for the other guys. The offensive coaches are going to look at the defensive film like they're going to put together a plan to try to beat them, and the defensive coaches are going to do the same thing looking at the Packers' offensive film, a form of self-scouting to – try to get to the bottom of some of these things or what opponents are looking at in terms of where some weaknesses are, some things that uh, the coaches want to shore up when they get the players back from the break. Yeah, it can be very illuminating to do that kind of stuff. You know, Mike McCarthy always called it the cross-the-hall meetings Yeah, uh, that they would do their self-assessment, self-review. So I would imagine, and I was anticipating, that they were going to do something like that with Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin. Why it's so interesting with these two particular sides, though, isn't even just because of, okay, how the game film has gone. It's because they've been practicing against each other going back to May. So seeing where those teams and offenses have evolved, who's picked up certain concepts better than others, where things are now five, six months after the installation period, I always find this to be a very fascinating time uh, to be able to go back. And a lot of times when they come out of the break, you see some adjustments. They don't always have to be Clay Matthews moving to inside linebacker, (laughs) something as drastic as that. But you do see subtle changes, sudden personnel that are emphasized, different concepts that are maybe emphasized or de-emphasized. So it's an important time to be able to obviously rest the mind. You know, you don't want to push yourself too hard because, as Jamal Williams said in the locker room on Monday, they're planning to play through February here. So this is like the last little respite before you get into that big run. Yeah. But at the same time, also being cognizant of where you are and what you're doing so when the players come back into the building on Monday, you put forth a plan that's not only going to get you through these next six weeks, but could really potentially propel you into a postseason run. Yeah, I guess one advantage, if there is an advantage to having a bye week this late in the season, is when it comes to this sort of self-scouting process, there's a lot of film in the vault. Yeah. You've got 10 games in, uh, you know, in the film room to go over as opposed to maybe having only four or five if you have the bye week earlier in the season. So um, it'll be interesting to see if there are any adjustments. I'm guessing there will be some adjustments, but they won't necessarily be noticeable to us in terms of what the Packers might be doing schematically um, as they go forward. But before we get uh, any further, though, Wes, We've got to talk about this Monday Night Football game. Well, and it's funny, I, I want to use this to pivot into this because okay. I was watching parts of that game last night. And as we talked about on yesterday's show, San Francisco had a week four bye. If there was ever a better example of, okay, if you could get eight week or eight or nine, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. But why you would rather have it in week 11 rather than week four uh, is exactly what I think I saw in that San Francisco game. A lot of things went wrong for them, but the thing that kept popping up into my mind is, how different is this game if George Kittle's available? 
Obviously, how different is this game if Robbie Gold is available, even though he's obviously had some issues at times this year. And Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel going Sanders out with an goes injury. down with the rib. They're obviously missing Kyle Juszczyk at that point. It's just there are so many things kind of pulling against the 49ers. And the thing that they're going to have to go through, like I talked about on yesterday's show now, is you lose this game to Seattle, you're going to have to see him again at their place. You go week against 17. Arizona yeah. now next week who can play with anybody. And then the Packers. Baltimore, New Orleans. But at the end of the day, you have to win the ball game. And the San Francisco 49ers and Seattle, for the most part, neither one wanted to grab that brass ring. And eventually it turned up to be Seattle's game. Well, that was it was just a crazy game. It, it, I mean, it has to go down as of right now as the game of the year in the NFL so far. Monday night, those two teams, just the turnovers, the defensive touchdowns, the swings in momentum going to overtime, going all the way to the end of overtime, the missed field goal when the 49ers had a chance to win. Before that, the Seahawks look like they're going to win, and Russell Wilson throws an interception. I mean, um, the back and forth in the game was wildly entertaining. But the bottom line is now this is is where things sit, Wes, in the NFC. San Francisco's 8-1. The Packers and the Seahawks are 8-2. The Saints are seven and two, and the Vikings are seven and three. Yeah, that's loaded, my friend. I mean, and honestly, I will say this flat out: I can see any one of those five teams getting the number one seed in the NFC yeah. at this point, with six games for some seven, whatever the situation is. I can see any one of those five teams getting the number one seed. And here's the really interesting part: of those five teams I just rattled off. There are still five games left this season that involve two of those five teams playing each other. The Packers play the 49ers and the Vikings. Mm -hmm. The Vikings play the Seahawks. And as you already mentioned, San Francisco also has to play the Saints and the Seahawks. And that's not even including games that are on the schedule for some of these teams that include Carolina, who's still in the mix, that include either Philadelphia or Dallas, who's still in the mix. And you mentioned San Francisco has to play Baltimore in a cross-conference game. At Baltimore. This is is really something, the way way this is shaping up. This this one result with San Francisco not getting to 9-0 and taking that first loss, and as you say, their bye week is well in the past, and they've got injuries to deal with here as as this gauntlet of a schedule comes up. This thing is wide open for the top seeds in the NFC. Yeah, and just first off, to be my own ombudsman here, I was incorrect. Kyle Juszczyk has since returned, but they still were dealing with a lot of injuries in this ballgame, and Kittle's such a big, important part of that offense. He was watching up in the the, uh, the, the luxury box or whatever. He wasn't even on it, wasn't even able to be on the sidelines with his teammates so So, here's what this does I thought you know friend of the program Aaron Nagler your one-time co-host on this show you know he said after (laughs) watching that game you know the Packers have a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl here I think any of those five teams in the NFC right now that are sitting at seven two can all say that they have a legitimate shot. Absolutely. And it's not only just because of the parity, even though it is a slightly top-heavy conference, it's because you look over in the AFC and everybody's talking about all the issues that the New England Patriots have and they're sitting in the position that they are right now. Buffalo just gets beat by Cleveland. 
there are just there's very few teams out there right now that are just world beaters that are just knocking everybody down that haven't shown flaws. Everybody has flaws. Everybody has shown flaws. And just and, about every every one of those teams, I think I could probably name them if you gave me enough time, has played a a a true clunker of a game, yeah. quite frankly. I mean, for San Francisco, it really was last night's game, the way they turned the ball over and the way their defense could not get the the stops to force field goals because um, with the short fields, S- Seattle was able to punch things in for touchdowns. Um, the uh, it, that, that was definitely San Francisco's worst performance of the season. As you said, they're they're dealing with injuries, but they don't get a break here, and no. uh, they've got a lot to deal with. And the thing that Seattle did that you are absolutely unequivocally going to have to do if you're going to beat the 49ers is you have to stop the run, and Seattle did that. Yeah. Uh, they were not able to get going because you know the way Kyle Shanahan wants to play with this particular group. They want to get their running backs 30 opportunities in a game, whether it's Mostert, whether it's Coleman, whether it is all these different you know Brita. permutations that they use. Yeah, uh, Brita in there as well, who couldn't get anything going with his 10 carries. Right. So uh, it is incredible to see a plan get fulfilled. People will talk about the missed opportunities. They'll talk about those last few minutes of overtime. They'll talk about you know a, a rookie – you know, I should say off the street free agent kicker having to come in, make a game tying field goal to go into overtime and then badly missing the one in overtime. But make no mistake, Seattle put themselves in a position to win that game against an undefeated opponent on the road. That's a credit to Russell Wilson. It's a credit to Carson, too, man. I mean, his longest carry was nine yards, but just continually kept grinding at it. Yeah. And, you know, between whether it was Jadavion Clowney, they're just, they found ways to win that football game. Yeah, it was. Uh, After going down early, too, mind you. Yeah, oh, yeah. They were they were down. They were down. They had to come back. It was, uh, it was a really, it was just a really, really entertaining game. Not in the same way that, you know, the game of the year in the regular season last year, that Chiefs-Rams game with like 100 points yeah. on the board. That was entertaining in a in a very different way. And a lot of people thought, and that actually came close to being a, a Super Bowl preview last year, except then the Chiefs lost in overtime in the AFC Championship game, so that rematch never happened. Um, Neither this team one, had 350 total yards, too, which is incredible when they basically played an extra quarter. Yeah. And that's it's a heck of a ball game. Yeah. This one, we're going to see the rematch in Week 17 as division rivals, and who knows, that may be meeting number two out of three between these teams because there's a chance that, uh, that, that they could meet up in January as well. And you talk about one of those teams is going to be going into the playoffs. I don't care if it's Seattle. I don't care if it's San Francisco. Again, they have to, get other, they have to do their homework here. They have to be able to get to the position to be in clinching a spot to the playoffs for yeah. that to have the full meeting. But whoever wins that could very well have a first round bye, could very well end up being the number one seed. Whoever loses it is going to have an absolute drag out kind of matchup. And then five, you know, six days, seven days later, they're going to have to come out and play a wild card game right yeah, after that, too. I know. Uh, that's, that's where the stakes are really high in that conference. But getting back to your original point, because I think it, worth, it bears repeating here for Green Bay, they took care of business to get to eight and two. They needed to win that game against Carolina, as you and I were talking about last week, to put themselves in a position to sit back this week and see how the chips fall. Could Arizona come out now? Could they be able to maybe get San Francisco on a bit of a slide here, testing them with that Cliff Kingsbury offense? But even more than that, the way the schedule lines up for Green Bay now, 
You're going to have to travel to Washington. You're going to have to travel to New York. Two teams together, I think, have, what, three or four wins. Those are games you have to win. Then you get Chicago at home. You're going to have a tough matchup against Minnesota, and then you're going to have to go back into Ford Field against Detroit. But that's why you win the eight games. You're no longer, after three years of having to kind of chase the dog, chase in the car, yeah. you're in the driver's seat right now, and you're in a position to potentially, you know, control your destiny here going into the playoffs. Well, and, and also, given that result on Monday night, just how big was that win by Minnesota on the road at yeah. Dallas on Sunday okay. night? If Minnesota is sitting at 6-4 and four and two games behind the Packers with as top-heavy as things are in the conference, nobody's really talking about Minnesota in this conversation for first-round bye and, and whatnot, not to say that they would have been out of it. But the Vikings, they had – They've navigated their toughest back-to-back. They had to go at Kansas City and at Dallas back-to-back mm-hmm. weeks, and they were able to split them, um, probably in somewhat the reverse way people thought with Patrick Mahomes not playing for Kansas City. Maybe you think, okay, the Vikings will beat Kansas City, but then they won't be able to beat a healthy Dallas Cowboys team. Well, it went the other way. But uh, to come off of the loss in Kansas City and then and then to do what they did down in Dallas, knock off the Cowboys, stay right on the Packers' heels at seven and three. This is uh, this is just going to be really fun down the stretch. Um, and as I said, a lot of a lot of big games, a lot of interesting games to watch here with Minnesota still having to play Seattle. The Packers are going to come out of the bye and go to San Francisco. As you said, San Francisco's next game is against Arizona, a team that rallied from a deficit against them and took them right down to the wire um, when they just played them recently on a Thursday night game. So uh, there's a lot to be sorted out here in the NFC over the last uh, six, seven weeks as we get to the end of the end of the calendar year. And then it's all just a preview for what's going to happen in January. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, Arizona's not going to the playoffs this year, but I do not want to play the Arizona Cardinals. If you've watched the games they've had, Kyler Murray looks like a legitimate talent, and he seems to really fit Kingsbury's offense. They're flawed. They are still a little bit away, and and I don't mean to be dismissive of their chances, but they have three potential playoff teams staring right up on top of them in that division. It's a law of math, but I wouldn't want to play them right now (laughs) because they play everyone pretty much the same way right down to the wire, and that offense always gives them a chance. So, yeah, for San Francisco, they're going to have to get themselves back together here. Defensively, they're as good as they get right now in the NFL. You can talk about Shanahan's offense. You can talk about – but, I mean, it is incredible, uh, you know, the job that they're doing defensively with that unit. I know some deep ties there from Matt LaFleur with that entire team, but it's uh, it's a big question mark. And if you look at Minnesota right now, Mike, that team, the way that they've bounced back from some adversity – you have to tip your cap to them, and you got to see where these chips fall over the next month because that Week 16 matchup on Monday Night Football, every single week it looks more intriguing. Yeah, it's definitely getting more intriguing with uh, with each passing week. Before I forget here, Wes, because I did forget yesterday. Uh-oh. Select Cousin Subs locations are now offering delivery. Whether you're ordering catering or your favorite sub, they're delivering right to you when you order online at CousinSubs.com, Cousin Subs. We believe in better. Am I allowed to take the like the reins of the ship for the last five minutes? Sure. Because is that, is that, the thing I wanted to ask you, and I didn't get a chance to put this in our pre-production meeting, but I wanted to ask okay. you is you got when you look at the totality of where the Packers are at night now, 10 games, because I have an answer to this too, but I want to put it out there for you. Okay. What is maybe the biggest thing that has surprised you to this point? 
and I know it's easy to point to the record. Jimmy Graham talked about it. Nobody expected them to be 8-2. and two. But when you look at the construct of this team and where they got through the first two-plus months of the season now, what, what's maybe one thing you didn't know when we were going into that first game, you know, walking into Soldier Field, getting into that press box that these past 10 games have taught you? I think what I would say, for me, what surprises me the most is the way things have gone in some different forms and fashions with regards to Devontae Adams, and I mean that in a couple of ways. One, I wasn't sure that this offense would be able to continue to ascend and continue yeah. to improve. We saw so much improvement in the first month, and then Adams went down, but the offense continued to get better. Um, that surprised me a little bit. Matt LaFleur, Aaron Rodgers, they found something that works with running the offense through the running backs, through Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and letting them be the real bell cows offensively. And I think that's going to continue, as we saw against Carolina, even with Adams being back. But then the other thing is that this offense would have the numbers that it has, and Devontae Adams hasn't caught a touchdown pass yeah. after the guys had three consecutive double-digit touchdown pass seasons. As we talked about yesterday, he's not worried about it. He's not hung up on it. Credit to him and whatnot. But, yeah, if you had said to me after 10 games that Devontae Adams would not have a touchdown pass, how many wins would the Packers right. have? I would not I would not say eight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so um, that's, the thing I, that's the thing that stands out to me in terms of how this offense has – has managed, has evolved, has adapted to the circumstances. And I and I still don't think we've necessarily seen this Packers offense, this Matt LaFleur offense with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. I don't think we've seen it at its best yet. And to me, that's what's going to be really intriguing about the last six and regular seasons. This isn't games. what I wanted to say for my surprise, but the thing I've been really encouraged by, and, and certainly L.A. was a step back, but this offense watching that first month of September – there were so many people talking about oh, things aren't quite working. You know, they're they're kind of ranking low in some of these categories, very quietly and steadily. It wasn't one particular game, but you saw them rise in passing yards, in points, in the in the indicators that everybody points to for offensive success and efficiency. It's interesting. You know, the rushing numbers are still low compared to the league average, but you, you I think that's arguably the thing offensively that maybe you have the most confidence in right now with what those two guys can do back there. Yeah. And seeing Aaron Jones evolve the way he has has been a real treat to watch. But even more so, there were so many years, Mike, where you and I would answer insider inbox questions and people asking, what can the Packers do to get Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on the field together? I'm not saying football's easy. It really isn't. But when you look at your playmakers, I get I have so much respect for the way that Matt LaFleur decided both of these guys can go and both of these guys have their strengths. And the fact that they both can be three down running backs, they can pass, protect, they can catch. Yeah, find ways to get them on the field. Innovate. Don't be afraid of, you know, utilizing your full talent. And and LaFleur has been willing to do that. Yeah. I want to just point out in terms of my biggest surprise. One, the way they've started games this season, and there's been a few exceptions, but for the most part, they've just rocketed out, and that's been an area where they really struggled, offensively, defensively, everything, the past few years. Just being able to get out, get those points on the board right away, they usually had to work into it. But man, oh man, Mike, and you've covered the team a lot longer than I have, but their ability to finish, working through adversity, working through yards on both sides of the ball, special teams, you know, at times not being able to come through, but finding ways to win in crunch time. Mm -hmm. That is the number one thing a team has to do if they want to play deep into the postseason. 
And this team, if they can stay healthy, which to this point they have been able to, if they get into the postseason, it doesn't matter what the environment is, although Packers are hopeful that they're going to be able to play some games at Lambeau with the way things have gone so far, they are going to be able to overcome the circumstances. That is so difficult to achieve. Because when you talk about 111th, and it's great. It's a great motto. You can put it on a T-shirt. It's something that guys can all go to. But if you don't believe that, you're not going to succeed in those predicaments. And the Packers, for the most part, this year have. Yeah, well, I think that's why I focused so much early in the season. I felt that win at Soldier Field in Chicago said so much about where this team could potentially go. And what I'm talking about is the way things went in the fourth quarter because you're talking about crunch time and being able to do things when the game is on the line. That opening win over Chicago, the offense in a one-score game was backed up inside its own 10-yard line. They drove the ball out of there, put together the drive that they needed late in the game to attack on a field goal. The defense gets the interception in the end zone to thwart a a potential game-tying drive by the Bears. And then you also had special teams with J.K. Scott coming through with that big punt in the fourth quarter. The very first game of the year, you had all three phases do something really, really crucial in the fourth quarter at crunch time. And as you said, as the season has gone along, it's been some different ways and some some different happenings in the fourth quarter to get it done. But what we saw there in week one was fortunately a sign of things to come because that's how this team is win- this this team is winning games at the end at crunch time and that's what you have to do. And that's one of the things that's kind of bothered me too about some of the submissions we got people comparing this particular defense to 2011. And I get the one comparable in that there's been some yardage allowed and they both you know kind of thrived on takeaways. But and and you covered the every game that year. I only covered the home games, but. My takeaway from that season was a lot of defense, a lot of offenses could kind of score at will. If they didn't get the takeaway, they were getting three, they were getting seven every single time. There's a difference there this year, and I think that's why if you want a true assessment of defense, Pete Doherty from the Press Gazette said this years ago, you have to do some kind of calculation where you have to factor in scoring defense. For everything that went wrong, for the yards that were allowed, some of the explosive gains that happened against Carolina, Carolina still only scored 16 points. Yeah, and the points are going to be what ultimately determine whether or not you win. Well, a and you, and game. you look at some of the other games too, the the Kansas City game, the Oakland game, a ton of yards up and down the field. But even those games, they only allowed twenty four. Yeah, now right. you'd like to allow fewer than twenty. Yeah, you want to under yeah, right, but 20. but but twenty but allowing twenty four points in this day and age in the NFL, that's not bad defense. It's giving it, your team a chance. It, to it's win giving your team a chance when you have Aaron Rodgers yep. and you have the weapons that you have. And yes, at the end of the day against Carolina, it was only sixteen, and and. You You'll take that. You'll take that any day of the week because if Aaron Rodgers, if an Aaron Rodgers offense can't win the game when the defense only allows 16, it's not on the defense. Yeah. At least that's the way I look yeah. at it. Yeah, and, and as we talked about yesterday, and I'll close on this. I mean, Kenny Clark said it. You don't want to just always live this way. It's a dangerous way to play the game. They want to find answers to some of the things that have plagued him. And the cross the hall meetings this week, that that all factors into it. Yeah. Being able to self scout. But also the week of rest here. I just I wrote it in inbox today, Mike. They has seven guys right now who've played over seventy percent of the defensive snaps. Those aren't I, all defensive backs either. I wrote it three, maybe four weeks ago that the defense to me was just looking yeah. like it needed to get to the bye week. And the fact that the Packers got to the bye week at eight and two, they are relatively healthy on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, that's where that's where there are there are more issues to be worked out defensively than offensively. Not that the offense doesn't need to figure out these false starts and delay games yeah. and some of these things that have plagued them. 
But the defense for a few weeks now has needed to get to this bye. They got there. The Packers are eight and two. I look for uh, I look for a little bit of a rejuvenation from the defense yeah. after this break. Yeah, and it's that Mike Spofford, you know, realist thing of the week. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, just be realistic about it. There's a huge difference between finishing a marathon and you know falling down at the finish line as opposed to quitting at mile marker 13 and walking it in. This team ran all the way to the finish line, specifically on defense. They got to where they need to get to. They need to rest. They need to recover. And they need to find some answers when they come out of it. But to be at 8-2 and two and to be in this position where, among flawed teams, you stand above, I think that says a lot about the character of that team and exactly what they could potentially be capable of in this season. Yeah. Well, it is time for the Packers to rest up, for us to rest up. you got a flight to Barbados. <laughs> And for the fans to rest up, because as I like to say, buckle up. This thing is just getting started. It's going to be a fun, uh, it's going to be a fun, fun stretch run. But for now, we will sign off on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team. We still do have a lot of content coming on the website this week. As I said, we're working from home, and no, I'm not going to Barbados. <laughs> but subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services on Twitter. He's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time.